are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am doing fantastic, Jeff. And you? I'm well. I'm well. I'm here in uh, beautiful Buffalo, New York, where it is no warmer or nicer than it is in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I have found that the good people in Buffalo like to be self-deprecating. So that is, the fact that you called it uh, beautiful Buffalo, I, I don't think will go unnoticed. No, no. And it, it is a lovely city. It's quite uh, quite cool. I like it. Nice. But, nice. Uh, yeah. Joining us today on the program is Emily Boland. Emily is the marketing manager at Taco, a contract office furniture manufacturer located and based in Toronto, Canada. And it's so nice to have another Canadian on the program. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Emily. Hi, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm excited to be on here. And yeah, like you mentioned, we're um, an office furniture manufacturer located in Toronto. We've been in business for 43 years. Uh, and yeah, I'm just a little bit further down the road from you, about a two hour drive since you're in Buffalo today. Ah, right on. I've got to say, this is like old home week for me. I spent a, a former career in uh, the contract office furniture space, and uh, it was really where I cut a lot of my marketing teeth, actually. So it's uh, really cool to be, uh, to be chatting with you today, Emily. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely exciting to chat with you considering your background in the industry. Um, and a lot of people, you know, don't really realize how vast and large the industry is. I know um, with myself getting into this industry, I had originally worked in public relations and uh, I, did some, I did some marketing, public relations, event planning, mostly for fashion. And I didn't really have a ton of knowledge about the office furniture world. And I came in here and it just kind of opened my eyes. I mean, when you think about it, every office needs furniture. Everyone's got to go somewhere. Um, but <laughs> just how large it is and the, the amount of players in the space is crazy. You're dealing with North American made product. You're dealing with import product. There's all sorts of different things out there that, you know, you have to compete against as a manufacturer um, to pull a little bit of that market share in. Yeah, and I think it's a really challenging space for manufacturers. Uh, it's more subject in some way uh, than an awful lot of uh, industries to fashion. I mean, we have um, uh, fashion impacting um, workplace trends and just um, what you, you see uh, from an expectation in in in, in product, but then. Uh, even how people are working and uh, organizations are are changing is another kind of layer to it. So it's um, you know it's got to be a challenge for you all to keep up with, frankly, and try to stay ahead of. Oh, for sure. There's so many elements that you know you've got to pay attention to the fashion world and those trends. Um, often things you'll see the Pantone color of the year, you'll see that start being reflected in the fabrics that are offered. Um, from our from fabric suppliers and mills you'll see laminate colors that really follow suit um, of what's going on in kitchens so there's a huge area of things you have to pay attention to um, to make sure that you're staying on trend actually not even staying on trend i should say getting ahead of the trend and yeah a few of the ways to do that are through the fashion industry through um, other interiors that are more residential and that's where the trend's been really going um, but it's it's definitely an interesting an interesting place to play, and there's a lot to consider because there's a lot of different 
buyers out there with different with different tastes and different expectations. I'd like to dive into that a little bit, Emily, because I think our listeners, there's an awful lot of um, manufacturing marketers that sometimes find themselves dealing with a, a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde uh, in their persona makeup of who they're trying to, to speak to or track with their marketing. And, and I, I often think of the contract office furniture business because, because of that. You have so much of the business is driven by architects and designers who set spec on large projects, which are the ones that manufacturers often live and die by. But then, of course, um, facilities managers, building managers, small business owners, all of those people are also a part of that target. So, guess, can you... Uh, Walk us through that a little bit about how you go about um, shaping uh, the company's message and, and, and appealing to these various groups. For sure. So I love the way you called it the kind of Jekyll and Hyde approach. Um, and I'd say that's totally true. There can be a big juxtaposition between um, different areas that you're trying to cater to. So just to give you a little bit of background um, on the way our company works is we're B2B and we sell to dealers who then go and sell to the end user. So it's multi-level in the fact that we're trying to make a brand name for ourselves directly with the end user so that they know who they are when the dealer brings us up. But we're also trying to work with the dealer to develop good relationships and help them market their company in their territories to in turn, get us, get us sales. And um, through the dealer network, we encounter also a lot of architects and designers in the A&D community. And um, just within themselves, there's some juxtaposition because you've got dealers who might be, who want to sell quick. They're very transactional. And, uh, and that's not all of them. Some of them are more, you know, doing larger projects and want more high design. Um, but typically when that happens, they're playing in the they're playing in the A and D field and there's an architect or a designer who's involved. And that's when all of a sudden the fashion industry really comes in. And so you need to market in a way that appeals to both categories there. So you've got your dealers and your A and D and you want to somehow fit in both. And when we rebranded um, about two and a half years ago now, uh, we tried to make our brand follow suit. So what you'll see if you go to our website, if you look at our yearly catalogs, it feels very high-end and luxurious, something that would appeal um, to a designer or an architect who, you know, is really looking for those little little pieces of design flair, little elements showing that, you know, it's not just quality, it's also well-designed and well-thought through. Um, but the brand is also friendly and the point that it's user friendly, you go on that website, it's super easy to use. Um, it's easy to understand who we are. And you can still really see kind of the family homegrown values that Takeo's known for. Um, and so through that, we kind of show that you can do both. You can get that design aspect, but we can also, we're also still friendly, we're approachable, and we can do quick and smaller jobs that, that need to be done. And uh, I think I think it's a little bit tricky to play in both fields at the same time. Of course, you're going to get some people that you know might not understand the brand or might not understand different changes that are happening. Um, but we do our absolute best to be able to communicate with both, kind of through one 
clear message on our on our website and our e-blasts. Um, we don't really separate it out, I would say. It goes direct to everybody that we have and we try to make it kind of all encompassing. So high design, but ease of use and kind of homegrown, homegrown boutique feel. Focusing on the high design and the quality and the kinds of things that an architect are going to look for is not necessarily going to preclude that more transactional dealer from liking or, or specking your product. Um, it, it may just be ignored. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a bad thing <laughs> as long as the end customer is still seeing the things that they value and that they want out of the product coming through in their office setup. Of course. So, I mean, it's something that, it's something that you can't forget either is is the client. So I'm, I'm telling you all this about our branding towards what maybe transactional might want, what maybe a designer might want. But in the end, it's the end user who's who's really making that decision. And that just comes down to having for us a brand that that you know has that bright, airy, welcoming feel and dealers that are out on the field that are well trained and educated about our product so that they can show that they can do both. I think this is um, it, it does make sense to me this notion of uh, basically leaning a bit more towards the A and D community visually in the approach of the site. But then in the, how, how, how the, the, the kind of brand is brought to life, how the site functions, even the identity uh, being you know, per, perhaps a, a little bit more versatile, a little bit more uh, welcoming. I, and to Jeff's point, there's hardly a, a downside to that. Um, it's not like uh, people are going to be anti-aesthetic, as an example. It's just it may not resonate with them in the same way that it does with the A&D community. Exactly. Have you... Have you found that you've had to be uh, similarly nuanced in your approach to copywriting and your approach to uh, whether it's site copy or in all other manner that copy comes to life in marketing? I mean, to, to an extent, I think, as you said, no one's adverse to nice aesthetics, right? There's just certain things that appeal um, to certain people more than others. So when it comes to when it comes to copywriting, you just try to keep that try to keep that in mind and you know you make it easy to read people want quick tips but in the end whether it's dealer or AD, they want the features and benefits of the product they want kind of a little bit of the down and dirty how it gets put together ease of installation and then they want information about you know something that makes the product original what's the design feature that you put into this is there is there an element that nobody else has is there a handle or a, a foot that you've designed specifically for this product line. Um, so I'd say when it comes down to copywriting, a lot of it, for us, it's just, I keep it simple. I keep it compact and I try to get the message across um, as easily as possible, no matter what field you're playing in. If you're A&D, if you're an end user, whatever it might be, so that you can have a good understanding of our product and why it's going to work for you and why it's going to look nice in your setting. And have you introduced some harder working content for the A&D folks as well, things that they may be more used to using that others wouldn't uh, have a use for, or CAD drawings even, things of that sort? Um, yes and no. So when it comes to things like CAD drawings, we do on our website have, um, an, have something called typicals, and they're essentially frequently ordered um, items as well as some higher design aspirational items that you can download the um, 
CAD files for designing directly onto your computer, which I think is really, really helpful with the A&D community. We've also, um, we're using a software called Giza, which is very popular um, with our dealers. So we kind of play in both areas. And we're also on Project Matrix, which is another um, kind of design tool that a lot of the A&D community is using. So we have to make sure that we're <laughs> kind of putting ourselves in all the different areas because the different um, the different dealers, the different A&D companies, they're all using different software. So we've got to make sure that we're being, we're reaching all of them. And in that case, it's a little bit of extra work. Um, but I will say the one piece, and it's not technology related, but the one piece that really makes a statement with the A&D community um, is our lookbook that we release every year. And it's essentially like a coffee table book catalog of all of our products. There's no writing really. It's entirely just beautiful, big, real photography images of our product. And the A&D community absolutely loves it because it gives them all types of idea starters and aspirational layouts that they can show, they can show to the clients. And I mean, our dealers are have been having a fantastic reaction to it too. We we just came out with our third one for 2019, and I'd say it it works really well with both with both parties, and we've received amazing compliments to it. So that's that's a big piece that we'll keep moving forward with that I think hits home for both for both parties. Most manufacturers are converting barely any of their existing website visitors into leads. If you want to get better than your competition at finding good prospects online, start by watching our webinar, How to Manufacture Better Content. This webinar from Cooler Ring host Jeff White will teach you how to produce manufacturing-focused content that works. Watch it now at bit.ly slash hmbcwebinar. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash hmbcwebinar. I don't want to um, I don't want to get too far down the path here before we uh, before we talk about uh, one area where Takeo is really kind of I think zigged where a lot of people zag in your industry um, in the contract office furniture space. Neocon is a famous uh, trade show. And um, I don't know how many people, is it 50,000 or more, descend upon the merchandise mart in Chicago and, um, and uh, furniture manufacturers from all over the world put their best foot forward. But you folks have chosen not to participate, which is, um, I think, a, a pretty bold move. So can you talk to us about that? and um, about the, the marketing impact of that and what you've done instead, et cetera? For sure. Uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, Neocon is this huge trade show. It's like, honestly, it's like the Disneyland for <laughs> for anyone who's a, a, in the office furniture industry. You will see everything from, you know, product prototypes to revamped product to stuff that might not be out for another five, six years. That's totally innovative. Uh, There's everything there for the office. It's an amazing show. Um, It's a ton of fun to attend. And we've been showing there for years. And we used to actually have a showroom year round in the merchandise mart. Um, So as you mentioned, yeah, we've chosen to take a step back uh, from Neocon and it's only really because we weren't seeing 
the value that we were when we were originally going. So basically we started going, putting a ton of money into, into this beautiful showroom and having a great experience, giving our dealers a great experience, going out for these fun dinners and conversations. But we were finding we were coming back with piles of business cards with notes scribbled all over them. Um, with tons of people that might be relevant, it might not be relevant to selling Takeo or purchasing Takeo. Um, and a lot of times these scribbled notes and, you know, business cards, they might end up getting thrown somewhere that you never look at again, or you might end up calling it and you find out, oh, well, you know, this person doesn't really have a whole lot to do. They might, with the office furniture manufacturer, maybe they were just maybe they're a residential designer and they were just interested in checking it out or, or something along those lines. And, you know, a lot of it didn't really come to fruition with signing up a new dealer um, or making a whole bunch more sales. So, what w- but I think a lot of marketers can identify with that. I think a lot of them are spending money, uh, huge portions of their budget each and every year on, on one or a network of trade events. And, you know, they're just not so sure. Um, it's, it's totally true. And it's so hard to measure your ROI um, from a trade show. Like you can leave with a list of emails or a list of names of attendees and you can say, you know, I talked to this person from here. But a lot of times, the, a lot of those emails, a lot of those calls don't necessarily bring anything about. And oftentimes I found at Neocon, a lot of what was happening there was more of a sales assist. There was something maybe already on the, on, on the go and, um, and therefore you were, that, that uh, prospect was being entertained. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And all it took was a five-figure dinner to close the deal. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but that dinner could have happened in probably a lot of cities, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there is a there is a fun element to taking someone out around the Neocon time. Um, I mean, Chicago is always a really fun city to visit and uh, has some great, great restaurants and, and places to go with, with potential customers. Uh, but, you know, we found because of all of this, it was just, it, because of all the business cards we're coming back with, not necessarily understanding the ROI um, or seeing that that direct value we thought we'd take a step back and and save some of that money. And what we've done with that marketing budget is instead go out and found dealers that want to partner with us, found A&D firms that want to learn more about Tego, want to learn how to spec Tego. And after vetting them, we use that money to fly them out to Toronto. We put them up in a hotel. They get to come to our head office for training, walk through our manufacturing facility, um, learn how our product is installed, see our showroom, see our staff and our and how friendly and happy everyone is to be working at Takeo. Um, and it kind of gives them a completely different experience. So as opposed to maybe seeing somebody quickly for an hour for a quick lunch, a quick dinner at Neocon, um, trying to make trying to make an impression, here we're we're getting them one on one for a full whatever it might be, might be two days, might be three days. Um, and we're really able to show them what Takeo can do and give them a bit of understanding around our brand and our message and and why why we have been growing so much and why they should be a dealer partner with us. And having them come to Toronto and being face to face has has really really paid off. So it's been a it's been a great use uh, of our money. 
not to say that I don't miss Neocon. It's, it's a it's a very <laughs> fun event, um, and it's always fun to walk the walk the show and see all the new stuff that's coming out. Um, but for us personally, at this time, we're all about relationship building. The best thing we can do is get um, get people who want to be partners with us flown out and brought face to face with us, so they can really see what we're about. There's something to be said about not doing the exact same thing that all of your competitors are doing. And and it's not just that they're all doing that. They're all there at the same time. So, you know, you're you're having to compete for, you know, eyeballs and, and ears and everything all in the same place, all at the same time, when all of your competitors are trying to do the exact same thing at the same moment. So I think it's a really smart decision. And we talked a little bit in the pre-show about how Apple made that same decision about the Macworld conference um, many yeah. years ago. And basically, they didn't want to have to align their product release schedule, align their, you know, everything to do with their marketing with what the rest of the industry was doing. So by pulling out of a trade show like Neocon, you're able to kind of set your own schedule and set and bring the dealers on side in, in that way. I think it's really brilliant. Thank you. I mean, I think it was a it was a hard decision to make, but it's it's paid off. And you're right. It means that we don't have to necessarily align our new product with Neocon when everybody else is coming out with a brand new product. We can wait until there's, you know, a little bit of lull after Neocon or something like that so that we can really grasp the attention of of our marketplace. And and Neocon, it's so easy to lose the attention because like I mentioned, it's literally the Disney world for office furniture, the office furniture industry. People are looking everywhere, going every, everywhere. It's literally a sensory overload. Um, so it, it is hard and to kind of get attention and control the message. And, and that's something we're, we're able to do much easier when we can get them to our showroom, to our headquarters. Emily, I'd be curious uh, what other advice you would have for marketers listening other than uh maybe to um, uh, go your own way on this trade show circuit. What other um, things have you been uh, implementing in, in Takeo's marketing that you've really, uh, say, point the, point the way to, um, uh, to, to superior ROI in your mix? For sure. So, I mean, I've been with Takeo for just over three years now. Um, and in that time, we've completely rebranded. I mentioned our, our lookbook. I've mentioned our website. Um, those are areas, tangible areas, that we're very, very, very proud of. Um, if I were to advise anybody out there who maybe is potentially going through a rebrand and they are selling B2B like we are to other dealers, um, that they really focus on their content. They really focus on their market and they put more money into polishing up the brand message and the brand strategy as opposed to kind of showing up at trade shows, plastering your logo everywhere. Um, really where we've seen the ROI is where we've taken the time to build relationships with dealer partners. And one thing that we offer specifically, and I think is fantastic, thing to talk about in our marketing work is our customer experience. So that is a huge area of focus for us and has been since our rebrand. Uh, we're definitely th thinking more strategically. We're thinking about how we can help our dealers make sales. Um, we have a dedicated space planning team 
who works in our office and actually will do the designing for um, dealers out there who might need help specking it. We we do all all sorts of installations and, and different trainings that we can provide. And I think having your dealer being happy is going to make sure that your end user is happy. So I would say focus really strongly on what you're putting out there and don't worry too, too much about, you know, guerrilla marketing and big logos and flashy design. See where you can get with building those relationships. And one of the things that we recently did is strategically decided to call all of our dealers customers. And we did that because when you take good care of your dealer, the dealer is going to take great care of the end user. And you're kind of in enforcing that. So really the focus has shifted from trade shows, crazy branding, mascots running around, all kinds of things like that to individual one-on-one experiences for our dealers along with a really great and reliable customer experience from the minute you walk in our door to the minute your furniture is installed and there's an end user working at it. Have you found that that um, is uh, within the dealer network is 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 driving increased brand preference for, for Takeo? I mean, I know that the dealer network and contract office furniture is uh, notoriously full of conflict and um, many mm-hmm. dealers uh, carry a, a number of different brands and have a lot of different things that they're, you know, options available to them for specking product. Uh, has this enhanced focus on customer service to the dealer paid off on, on, on increased uh, brand spec for Takeo, do you think? Oh, uh, for sure. So, I mean, there's so much competition out there, as you know, and dealers have multiple lines. Most of them aren't just selling Takeo, and we, and we know that, and we're really aware of that. And showing our dealers the amazing things that we can offer to them, whether it be a dedicated designer to work on all of their projects and, and give them renderings, um, whether it be marketing support, individual brochures that they might need created, showroom signage, um, you know, what, whatever it might be, we can, we can show them that we've, we've got that available for them. We've got that customer experience portion. And I think that's made a difference. Dealers say, okay, it's so much easier to place an order with Tago. They're responsive to me. I know exactly who to call. I know who my person is there. I I know the CEO. I've met him. I've shaken his hand. It's an easy way to get great product at an affordable price. And I know that I'm going to get what I ordered. I know I'm going to get that good quality. And that's why dealers have started kind of flocking more towards Tago. So I'd say that customer experience has, you know, tenfold helped us increase our brand recognition. And I think that's where we're going to keep continuing to put our focus because we've got to make sure our dealers are happy and help them so that they can make sales and market in their territories. And hopefully with knowing the ease of order and all of the different stuff we provide, they're going to think of Takeo first. One of the other things that you've you've talked about here is just the, the undertaking of this rebrand about three years ago. And I, I believe you were relatively new to the organization when that happened. Yeah. So, um, the rebrand basically when I came on was just in the air a little bit. We They had chatted about doing it. They had looked into third-party agencies that they could work with to help with the rebrand. Um, 
but it hadn't come too, too far. And, and I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I have a background in, in public relations and marketing and event planning, um, all within the fashion and lifestyle industry. Um, so it was a little bit of a quick awakening to learn as much as I needed to know about all of our competitors and about the office furniture industry as a whole, um, because I wanted to be able, be able to provide valuable insight as to what the Takeo brand should be, as to what our brand values are. and. Um, it was, it was uh, a lot of work and it took about a year to actually, to actually launch this brand, um, this website, the lookbooks, all of this stuff. And it was uh, a really, really great experience. And, you know, I would recommend that to any marketers that are out there, um, if they ever get the opportunity to revive a brand, uh, dig deep, learn the entire history of this company, learn the downfalls, the ups, learn about all of the products, even things that have been discontinued and archived, learn about the people. And then don't stop there, learn about all of the competitors and really see what you can bring to fruition because it is an amazing experience. And all the time we we have people coming, the brand's been out for two, two some odd years, all the time we have dealers coming and saying, God, your brand is absolutely wonderful. It's, it's easy to use. It's clean. It's slick. It's trendy. It's fun. And it embodies Takeo. And, you know, hearing that feels really good because it's something that um, I worked alongside our CEO with endlessly and tirelessly to make sure that we were going to hit a home run. And it, it was such a great experience. That's awesome. Did you find it uh, challenging at all being new to the organization and kind of bringing such robust change? For sure. So <laughs> it's a little, it's always a little hard when you're coming into a new place. People don't know you, don't know if they should trust you. Um, they haven't seen your work history. So how do they know that you're bringing the right insights, right? Mm -hmm. um, luckily, uh, our CEO is a fantastic resource. Uh, he, Kevin Phillips, he's second generation uh, owned of the company. He, his father started the company in 1976 and he's taken over for about the last seven years. And uh, he was a great tool to be able to help me um, learn and kind of bounce ideas off of while I was still trying to really understand the scope of the marketplace. So was it challenging? Yes, but did I feel like I had the right resources behind me. Yes. So it wasn't scary. It was more a quick learning opportunity and a really great opportunity to breathe new life into the brand. Very cool. And yeah. And one thing, one thing I didn't mention earlier that I think is so important to anybody who's, you know, out there listening, maybe they're thinking about doing a rebrand. Um, they're thinking about changing their market strategy, whatever it might be. We were completely blown away by the impact that this had on our employees. You really don't mm. realize the change that it's going to make. It's not just external. It's not just your dealers. It's not your customers who are going to look at this and think, wow, they know what they're doing. It's professional. It's modern. It's sleek. Your employees are all of a sudden going to take a breath of fresh air and say, I'm proud to work here. Look at this website. I can show this to my friends who might want to work here one day. 
I, I can show them our social media channels. Um, look at the logo. Everything is refreshed and renewed. They feel good to be wearing their new Taco shirts with the new Taco logo. Uh, there, there's a new sense of camaraderie among the building. <laughs> it was an unbelievable shift in the culture that we really, we really weren't even expecting. Honestly, we were thinking all about external and getting brand awareness out there. Mm. And internally, it made the, the biggest difference. That's fantastic. Well, I, I, this has been a really interesting episode to record with you, Emily, and, and I'm so glad you were able to join us and tell us about all the incredible things that you've been doing to, uh, to really bring Taiko into, into the modern era of success. Yeah, I mean, thank you for having me. I was happy to be on and chat a little bit about it, and it's, uh, it's been a fantastic experience at Taiko so far, really working on the, on the overall strategy for um, how we're going to go to market, working on the new brand, um, you know, kind of stepping away from the trade shows. It's been a lot of learning. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and I think we've really got something great here when it comes to building our dealer network. Very cool. Thanks again. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.